Hi, I'm Richard Kluche, Decision Manitoba 2019, the global news podcast as we cover the campaign for your vote September 10th. In a moment, a conversation with two key players helping drive economic prosperity in our province as we begin week two of the campaign. For the last decade, crime in downtown Winnipeg is keeping too many Manitoba families away and it's making those who work and live here feel unsafe. Manitoba Progressive Conservative leader Brian Pallister promising $10 million to reduce downtown Winnipeg crime. We've got to protect the safety of the people who live here better than we have. There needs to be better coordination and we released a, something of a plan in respect of our meth strategy that relates to public safety. But it doesn't just relate to meth strategy, it relates to quality of life for people who live here, people who want to come here. Somebody wants to come with their kids and go to a Gold Eyes game or a Jets game, they want to feel safe and secure. They deserve to feel safe and secure and there's Minneapolis for example, has advanced the way they cooperate with their security and their security cameras and so on, so that there's an interlocking strategy to make sure that people are safe from the time they leave the, the shop or the arena and get to their parking lot and get to their car. The NDP are promising to open up a safe consumption site for drugs such as methamphetamines if they are elected. Manitoba Liberals are promising to create 18,000 childcare spaces to eliminate the lengthy wait list for care in our province. The $33 million promise also includes unspecified wage, recruitment and retention promises, with the ultimate goal of creating 55,000 new childcare spaces by September 2027. Decision Manitoba 2019, I'm Richard Kluche. Chuck Davidson of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce and Don Leach of the Business Council of Manitoba join us on growing our economy. They're here on behalf of 10 business, manufacturing and construction organizations asking the politicians vying for your vote to support their ideas to create jobs and wealth in Manitoba. We have concluded uh, that we should put forward a list of seven basic principles and this starts with recognizing that it's the private sector that generates wealth and prosperity. Government sets a framework, government policies are critical, government investments in key core infrastructure and community infrastructure are important. But what we want to talk about is what are the, what are the principles that government has to put in place that will allow the private sector to prosper, to thrive, create jobs. And at the end of the day, that's the key consideration, is are we creating well-paying, meaningful jobs for Manitobans? It starts, Chuck, with a common agenda. Explain that principle. Well, and that's exactly it. In, in terms of what we're looking at, what we've seen uh, for the last number of years in the business community is there's this level of uncertainty in terms of whether or not businesses and companies are willing to make those major investments, whether or not they're willing to make those investments in their people and in their employees. Um, and what we've decided as an organi- organizations is, the economy has to be the number one priority. The other stuff doesn't matter. We don't get the economy right in Manitoba. We don't have the ability to make those investments. So growing the economy in Manitoba, in our minds, has to be the number one priority in this election. Don, it starts with infrastructure investment, and we're not just talking roads and sewers here. We're at a critical time in this province where we have seen a a lot of projects that were built 50 years ago that need rehabilitation. So it starts with the neighborhood school and community center right through to the digital economy. Talk about that. Sure. Look, infrastructure is critical. If if we don't have the the infrastructure in place, we don't have the kind of community that that excites people, makes them want to live here, makes them want to work here, that that provides the sorts of facilities that our young graduates say, this is an awful good place to stay. Because we're competing internationally, we're competing globally, 
people can go and work anywhere they want these days. And we've got facilities where we had phenomenal investments through a period of years. The last 20, 30 years, and this isn't unique to Manitoba, it's across the country. We've got to invest in things like the concert hall. We've got to invest in research innovation centers and our post-secondary institutions. And that's not just a nice to have. That's what's helping and allowing those young people to train for the critical jobs we need now. We need greater alignment between our educational institutions and our businesses, and we're working at that. But you can't do that with it without that significant public investment in community and core infrastructure. But Chuck, we're in a period of restraint now. Is the message to any government, fine, uh, balance the books, but there needs to be some spending on these key areas in order to prime the pump of the Manitoba economy. Absolutely. And, and it needs to be looked at through the lens of what's going to help stimulate economic development. And that's what we're concerned when it comes to infrastructure. There's key pieces and they need to be looked at through that lens. What's that return on investment going to be for making this kind of investment? So for instance, people, there's always this discussion, oh, we need to just spend more on roads everywhere. And some would argue that, okay, that makes sense. But what we would suggest is that let's look at what are some of those key pieces. One specific example, there's a highway between Hudson Bay and the Paw in northern Manitoba. It's basically a dirt road. And so what that does, if you're looking to uh, expand the Churchill and you're looking to get more goods and services through that port, and you've got a road that's a, that's actually a, a problematic in terms of moving goods and services in that direction, that's a key piece of infrastructure that we would suggest that's something we should be looking at from both sides, from Saskatchewan and Manitoba, to make sure that how can we do that so that we're going to be able to get those investments to northern Manitoba. So pave that road. Absolutely. Pave that road so that trucks can get on it year-round. Right now, it's not of a level that in terms of being able for truck traffic, it's about three months a year. Don Leach, you've also said that strategic investments in culture and the arts is also part of attracting and retaining uh, young people that want to work and play in a place like Winnipeg and throughout Manitoba. That's an important component of this. People want to work and they want to live and they and, and it and it extends evenings, weekends, and family time. We talk a lot about work-life balance. Without that, uh, People don't want to be here. They can go anywhere in the world, as I said. And if we don't build on the assets that we've got, and they are phenomenal. They are absolutely phenomenal. You know, we've got a world-class art gallery, the Inuit Center that's coming on stream. If we don't invest in those facilities, and if we don't invest in recreational facilities for young people, that's got a huge impact on the social side as well. Is the current government then too focused on deficit reduction? I, I can say to you that it was absolutely necessary that they tackle the deficit and tackle that massive interest burden that, that we're all paying, and we are. We're going to be paying it for decades yet, but we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're within two or three hundred million of a balanced budget, and they've got yet, by their own measure, another five years to hit their target. We believe you should start making more investments, and, and it's going to be critically important. And that infrastructure that Chuck referred to is trade-enabling infrastructure. Couple that with community infrastructure, and we're well on the way. Don Leach is with us from the Business Council of Manitoba. Chuck Davidson, Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Richard Kluche with you. It's Decision Manitoba 2019, the Global News Podcast. This is one of those areas where you invest in infrastructure, then you start to jump to global opportunities. And it's not just trade into the United States, it's elsewhere. Chuck Davidson, talk about those global opportunities and what needs to happen to even grow those opportunities. Well, that we need to have a, an increased uh, awareness in terms of what some of those trade opportunities are. And that's, you know, and that's the thing that I think is important. We've put all these, these different uh, trade agreements in place with other countries and other opportunities. Have we taken advantage of them as much as we can in Manitoba? And I would suggest we haven't. 
Uh, and that's something we really need to have an increased focus on, that increased focus on economic development where the current government has been getting sort of the, the pieces in place. We haven't been able to leverage it yet to take it to that next level. And I think that's absolutely key to take advantage of these things. We have an example of a pea processor building in Portage La Prairie, France-based, one of North America's largest pea processing facilities. You can build on that? Absolutely, you can. Part of what we're looking at from an economic development perspective as well is how do we get more of those kind of projects? And a big piece of what we need to do in Manitoba is we need to have a better understanding of what our value proposition is. And not only from a province, but from communities as well. Where should a roquette, if they're coming to Manitoba, where's the best place for them to set up? How do we make it easy for businesses to come to Manitoba? How do we make it easy for businesses that are currently in Manitoba to grow as well? That's a missing piece that we still need to get right here. A colleague of yours, though, Dave Angus, was part of a consultation process that tried to produce a roadmap here. I think we have a better idea, uh, a better template now than we did a few years ago. You're right. Dave, Dave Angus and Barb Gammy did a great report uh, to the extent that they they fulfilled their mandate. So they set out the framework. They identified key sectors with lots of potential for future growth. But what's missing is that next step. What's our overall strategic vision and plan? We, we need that strategy. And it can't just be straight economics. It's got to link into infrastructure. It's got to link into communities all the sorts of investments we've been talking about. Richard. All right, throw a list at us. What are we good at? What can we take globally from top of your heads here? Well, let's just say building on the agricultural sector, protein production. I mean, phenomenal. That's why Roquette's here. Pork production. Look look at what High Life is doing. You know, Canada's largest exporter in the hundreds of millions of dollars of pork to Japan. High-end quality cuts. We're, we're importing Filipino meat cutters because we don't produce meat cutters in Canada. Mining is another opportunity that we've lost over the last number of years, but there's huge opportunities in northern Manitoba that we need to take advantage of. So that's something we need to look at. We've got a strong manufacturing. We've got fi- strong financial sectors. We've got so many different pieces with the diversified economy in Manitoba here. And we always talk about not picking winners and losers. The winners and losers pick themselves. So you've got a strong aerospace industry in Manitoba. Let's build on some of these key industries that we have, leverage them, uh, so that's going to have a greater impact on the Manitoba economy. Is part of this as well uh, asking for tax competitiveness for these entities with other jurisdictions? That's a key piece. That's one of the biggest things that I continually hear when I'm out talking to members throughout the provinces that we're not competitive enough in Manitoba. And it's not necessarily from a business standpoint. It's more so from personal income taxes. That's where we're not competitive. That's the biggest challenge that I think needs to be addressed in this election. What we've been calling for at the Manitoba Chamber is we need to reform the tax system. We need to, let's do an entire review of the tax system, something that hasn't been done in over 25 years. Let's look at how do we make it simpler? How do we make it so that it's understandable for Manitobans? But let's make it so it's competitive as well. When you're looking at your top personal income tax bracket in Manitoba is $68,000 in comparison with any other jurisdiction, which is well over $115,000 to $130,000, we are not competitive. Don Leach, that brings us to the difference between Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and it's quite pronounced. Oh, ab- absolutely. It, it's 68000 in Saskatchewan, in Manitoba, and you start paying your high, highest tax rate. Saskatchewan, if you, if you are a, and I've given you this example before, if you're an $80,000 a year graduate coming out of a, a specialized biotech and you've got a choice of working at a great Manitoba company or a great company in Saskatoon, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I mean, you're, you're going to go to where you can put that extra six or 7000 bucks a year in your pocket, pay for your house, everything else. That's the challenge. How do, you, how do you retain the talent we need? Because talent is what all businesses need to grow and prosper.
Don Leach is with us on 680 CJOB from the Business Council of Winnipeg. Chuck Davidson is with the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Uh, They are here on behalf of a group of organizations in Manitoba releasing seven overarching releasing seven overarching principles of what really needs to happen to grow the Manitoba economy. And gentlemen, this doesn't happen without engaging in the Indigenous peoples of this province. Absolutely. That's that's a key uh, piece for us moving forward in terms of uh, making sure that uh, we are engaging with them because in terms of a, a future workforce, uh, that's one of the biggest workforces we have out there. How do we make sure that we're uh, working with Indigenous communities? How do we make sure that we're educating Indigenous peoples? And how do we make sure that we're getting Indigenous peoples into the workforce? Places like northern Manitoba, I'm talking to mining companies and paper companies. They're looking for between 80 and 100 employees that they can't find. We've got to figure out how we can get that match better so that we can fill some of those gaps, keep more of those people working in their communities and help them stimulate their local economies. And this isn't just a today issue, it's a tomorrow issue. And you recognize that one out of four children entering the public school system are Indigenous in this province. I mean, that's a huge potential talent pool that we have to develop and we have to provide economic opportunities for. They are there. They're looking for jobs. We've started. We're making an effort on that. But companies have got a constant list of jobs that are just vacant, 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 because we can't find people with the skills. There are unemployed people, but every future job in Manitoba is going to require some degree of specialization and training after high school. This current government is going through an exercise looking at the education system, and that's integral. And marrying, and we've talked about this for several years, but really marrying that educational sector, governments, and uh, businesses to kind of, you know, what do we need now, but what do we need five years from now? That's that's right. And look, that, that review has is, is kind of gone dormant during this, this election blackout period. But, but what's, what's obvious and evident, I think, is that you have to deal with a school system that equips the youth and the students for post-secondary training and studies. Uh, and you have to have your standards up, and you have to have a system that's producing trained high school graduates, just a high school diploma. And we know the variation in the province is, is, is amazing. Some school, high schools uh, have very, very high-quality graduates. The others languish, and, and it's partly because of investment in, in the facilities within the schools, partly the training capacity of the teachers. But if we don't address that, uh, we're, we're going to have a problem. But a good chunk of that as well is poverty. There are pockets of this province and this city that are impoverished, and you need to invest in those people. That, that's absolutely right. We, we know that, that the, the competency of high school graduates correlates to socioeconomic indicators and factors, and that's poverty and that's income. And, and schools like the inner schools in Winnipeg are not just dealing with the challenge of, of educating kids. They're dealing with the challenge of kids coming to school without breakfast, coming to school without any lunch, going home to, uh, to a home life that's, that's less than desirable based on what most of us have had the pleasure of, of growing up with. So that's a huge challenge for this commission that's set up. They're going to be getting that in droves when they restart in the fall. When we talk about investments, part of your ask here, part of what is needed is access to capital. And I think for successive governments since the Crocus investment fiasco, there's been this reluctance for anything government-sponsored. What in this report are you folks calling for here? 
I wouldn't say we're necessarily calling for something specific in regards to that the government needs to do. I think what we're saying is that this is an issue, and there's no simple answer to this one. And, and I don't think anyone's saying this is government's problem to deal with. The business community, I think, is willing to put uh, money and effort and time into to solving this issue. What we're continually hearing, and there's a gap in Manitoba. If you're a startup company that's looking to get off the ground, you need a couple thousand dollars to be able to get your business kind of going or your idea stimulated, there are enough programs that can address that. Once you get to a certain level and you can get access to banks or willing to put some money into your company as well, that's not a problem. The problem is there's a gap that exists. There's a gap that exists between if you're a company that needs to scale up and you need between 500000 and about $3 million. That gap is, is something that we have in Manitoba that not a lot of other jurisdictions have to deal with. And there's nowhere for business to go to. So we've got to figure out what that model is. How do we can get money in the pockets of these companies when they're getting to scale up? So what we're looking for is, is, is a framework from government. Remember I said, said at the beginning, government can't do it all and shouldn't do it all. The private sector can do it. As a pool of capital, the private sector is willing to step up. But we need that, that, that provincial framework for a venture capital program. We're languishing. We're the only province without a, a provincial framework endorsed venture capital program. I mean, we've got, you know, the Manitoba Securities Commission does a great job of, of regulating the security sector where people want to do offerings and, 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 and equity offerings to raise money. It works extremely well. But that, that gap at the low end is what the critical problem is for growing businesses, especially as Chuck referred to, the, the digital and the new media industries. They need that startup capital and they need it in a hurry. And we don't have the framework in place to do that. And that gets us to the sustainable fiscal relationship. And I gather that's not just something between the municipalities and the provincial government. It also includes the federal government here as well, that they're all in the boat paddling in the same direction. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think I think that's one of the things that, that we want to make sure happens as well. And, you know, we've been, you know, as an organization, we've been critical of the current government, that those relationships we think have been strained at all levels. We think that all three levels of government in Manitoba need to sit down on a more regular basis and get on the same page. That gets to leadership, though. Absolutely. It does. Look, the, the, the leaders have to lead, uh, and, and that means we believe, recognizing what we've said out here, that is that we have to have a sustainable framework uh, for financing government services so that each level can deliver their respective obligations. Because it's very clear in the Municipal Act what local governments are supposed to do. The province under the Constitution knows what it's got to do. The feds know what they've got to do. In a whole bunch of areas, they overlap. And that's where that ability to talk and get together and agree on a common objective is really important, and that's what's been missing, I would say, for seven or eight years. Government implements these seven agenda items. Paint us a picture of what Manitoba looks at as a result. Well, what you have is you have a lot more certainty and confidence within the business community, something that's been lacking over the last number of years. And whether it was sort of a downturn in the economy and uh, what's been kind of going on over the last number of years, what business starts to do is they start to invest. Businesses want to grow. Businesses want to hire more people. They'll make those key investments that need to happen, not just in Winnipeg, but throughout the province. We're starting to see it in pockets that's happening. I think once you get that economic development strategy in place, and that's something that's being worked on as well, once they've got a clear understanding as to here's where we're going, here's what's important in Manitoba, here's what we're trying to attract, I think the sky's the limit for Manitoba. Absolutely. Look, the private sector and and the business people in this province are, are amazingly resilient and entrepreneurial. What they want, as Chuck said, is uh, certainty to to go ahead and make decisions. We're maybe entering a period of global uncertainty, and we can't do anything about that. 
But we can get our fundamentals at home right so that we've got Manitoba businesses that are continuing to prosper and thrive. Our economy is way larger than it would be if we were just dependent on the Manitoba population. That's why the trade part is is necessary. Access to capital is critical. These are all pieces that you can do one-offs, but if you if you deal with them holistically and, and you set out to say, we agree, let's do this. And remember, the first one here is let's have a common economic agenda. Let's agree. The private sector is coming together on this. We're saying to the provincial leaders, do you agree with this? Do you agree that this helps us paint the way to the strategy, building on the Gami Angus report, building on the work the government's put in place with its partnership framework agreement with the six or seven partners to deliver various parts, but we still have to have that common strategic vision, and we believe these seven principles help get us there. Don Leach of the Business Council of Manitoba, Chuck Davidson of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, thank you both for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. You can follow the promises of the political parties, the Promise Tracker, at cjob.com and globalnews.ca. I'm Richard Cloutier. Decision Manitoba 2019, the podcast.